You're listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We'll be joined by experts who will help us understand current issues and resources available to those diagnosed with blood cancer. Holidays and, you know, those things are, are, mean so much more now than they did prior to cancer entering our lives. This may potentially be a cure for some patients. We'll also be speaking with patients and caregivers who will share their cancer journey with us to better understand life after diagnosis and let you know you're not alone. Beforehand, my job was to earn a living for my family. My wife said to me, your job now is to live. And that's what I'm doing. I'm living my life the way I want to live it. And I'm really enjoying it. It's a much more fulfilling life. Everything that I knew, I didn't know anymore. That defense mode. We're survivors. Like... But they're probably not the questions that you want answered. So, yeah, writing them down for us is important because of our chemo brain. Let's get started. Welcome to the Bloodline with LLS. I'm Alicia, and I'm Lizette. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Today we will be speaking with Marissa Pemberton, who currently lives with her husband in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where she works in neuroscience research at the University of Pittsburgh. She was originally diagnosed with stage 2 Hodgkin's lymphoma in April 2017 and underwent six months of chemotherapy before reaching full remission in November of that same year. Firstly, congratulations on being in remission. (laughs) Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. This is my pleasure. On this episode, we're going to speak more about the experience of being a cancer survivor in a relationship and what that was like for you and your husband, Jake, who we wanted to have on this episode, but due to his schedule, we couldn't, but hopefully we'll get him on one day. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be awesome. Either we'll have him back by himself or have you both back. We definitely don't want to leave him out. Yeah, I would, I'll have to tell him because he was bummed. He's in med school, so his schedule is so all over the place. I can imagine. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to to sit with us. No problem. So you were diagnosed with Hodgkin lymphoma in 2017. What was going on during that time in regards to either symptoms or life events? So I had moved to Pittsburgh just six months prior. So I'm originally from Wisconsin. And then both me and my husband went to school in Ohio And that was where I was finishing up my master's degree in neuroscience when I was having a hard time finding jobs that I was interested in. And me and Jake were just friends, but he said, you know, Pittsburgh has a great, huge research area where there's lots of different jobs and you could really find your place here. So why don't you at least give it a shot? Just, you know, try and apply and see what could happen. So I went for it, even though I really had no idea or like no expectations, and I ended up getting a job really quickly. And so I just kind of uprooted my life. It was really nerve-wracking and scary at first because I only knew Jake here, and we were just newly dating, so we were still like trying to feel each other out. (laughs) No pressure. So it was, yeah, it was a lot. It was also like I was finishing my master's, so it was my first full-time job, my first time in my own apartment. It was everything about figuring out what it meant to be like an adult on your own and so it was a lot at once that I was trying to figure out and we were literally just starting to feel more comfortable with each other it was like that point where you kind of knew that you really liked the other person and I was like making friends and I really enjoyed working at the university so everything was kind of coming together and I 
finally figured out that I'd be able to graduate that May too. It felt like everything was finally kind of like someone had shaken up a snow globe and it finally settled all down and it felt like everything was kind of calm. So we went to Washington DC for his spring break and we were just doing all the museums and exploring and everything and I just got a phone call from my doctor that said, hey, you know, you think, uh, I think maybe you should try to get a PCP, um, primary care physician, sorry, and kind of maybe get established here. So I was really confused because I had, like I said, I hadn't really established myself yet. I was seeing a urologist for a bladder issue that ended up being unrelated. And so because of the bladder issue, I was going to have to get a bladder scope. And a bladder scope means that you have to be put under. So when you're put under through anesthesia, they have to make sure you have a good airway. So I had to get a chest x-ray. So it's like a huge long story for just this one thing. The chest x-ray was random for, like I said, something completely different, but that's how they found this huge tumor in my chest. So it kind of came out of nowhere. I didn't have any symptoms. I thought I was just going to have this one minor issue be maybe figured out, and then it spiraled into something way bigger. So like I said, yeah, it came out of nowhere and there were no symptoms. And then when she gave me that phone call in DC, I was like, well, can I figure out when I get home from vacation? I'm not even in town right now. And she said, well... I'll give you until this afternoon, and then I'll call you back. And oh then I was gosh. like, what? <laughs> right. So I knew, like, the one hand, she didn't want to tell me over the phone everything she thought was going on, but on the other hand, it, like, left me in the dark. It was tough to figure that out at first. Wow. So did you share what was going on with Jake immediately, or did you want to wait to tell him after you knew for sure? So we were six months about dating, and since we were on vacation... We were kind of already spending a ton of time together, so he knew the unrelated bladder stuff was on my radar. I was trying to get it figured out, but neither of us were that concerned. And then since he was a first-year med school student, when she called that he was on full alert that something was up, but he didn't want to say anything to me yet because he didn't want to preemptively stress me out if it ended up just being a fluke or something that was really small. So... I didn't know him well enough to see that his alarms were going off yet, and it was probably good I was naive, because then it let me still have a good vacation, and luckily he put it on the back burner too that I think we both still had a good time, but it was enough that he kind of knew if I was going to have doctor's appointments and stuff, he should just, he was going to offer to go with me just in case, because he just had that maybe feeling that something might be up. So yeah, I was still so unaware that it could be anything going on at all that was cancer related. And so at that point, I randomly found a a primary care physician and I went to my first appointment and Jake offered to go with and it was just a full physical. And it was actually funny because that was the point in Jake's med school that he was learning how to give a physical. So literally three times a week, he would do these physicals on me at home because he needed practice for the exam. So I was with my eyes closed falling asleep when he was doing it because I had been through it to help Jake all through school. I even wanted to be like, oh yeah, you do this part next, you do that. I was so chill. It didn't even occur to me at all. And then he went through the whole thing. And then the doctor said, well, it came up on your chest x-ray that something could be off and that there's maybe this mass that's sitting on on your chest, but it's hard to tell because the chest x-ray, it's not 
of very good quality so I had to get a couple more CT scans and then that's when I started to panic because I have had a phobia basically of not just needles but any foreign object under my skin so the catheter when they put in an IV or having my ears pierced. My mom made me get my ears pierced when I was a child and I could not stand it so <laughs> I have it, it was something that I didn't think I would have to worry about too much because as a 20 something adult I don't encounter it so it's something I can just put in the in the back and say okay well I have this fear but I don't usually have to deal with it right. head on so then when I had to start getting these CT scans it all came rushing back how do I deal with this and that's why another reason I didn't think that it was cancer. I didn't think that it was something serious because I had like this short-term fear going through my head more than the long-term. How do I even deal with this needle right now? Something so minute in the long run that left me so much more paralyzed than thinking about a cancer diagnosis. So that was the baby steps of trying to get through each time a nurse would have to prick me or each time I'd have to get a blood draw. And then after I got those scans and the doctor told me that it was that something was probably pretty serious. It was like a shock, but it was still like, it felt, it didn't feel like it had hit me yet. It, it felt like I was like watching myself and Jake go through it, but I wasn't like really experiencing it, if that makes sense. It was also really frustrating because of course I had to have a mass that didn't want to abide by the regular rules. So in some places it looked homogenous and other places it looked heterogeneous so it changed in structure and form and it made the doctors really puzzled about what was going on so that also didn't help that maybe most people get an answer right away and I had to sit through weeks of different testing before they could finally come to a conclusion. What kind of questions were you asking the doctor during that time or was Jake asking the questions because he's in med school and that's what he's doing? Yeah, I was trying, that was when I first started to try to learn up more about what it meant to have a blood cancer and what it meant to have a cancer of your immune system and what exactly Hodgkin's lymphoma was. So I was like trying to get my head wrapped around it, but Jake would come with me to the appointments and he would be like, so I looked on UpToDate, which is Google Scholar for Med World, and he'd be like, I looked on UpToDate and I found this study from this year. Can you tell me about that one? And I also found this doctor who did this study. And can you tell me about those patients? And so he was so specific and was really drilling the doctors to try and understand a way more technical level than I was just like, okay, what exactly does this mean for treatment? I wanted to already be in that next step of understanding what all I had to go through from there on out because then to me, it like felt so occult. I was exercising every day. I'm a vegetarian, so I, I'm pretty conscious when I eat. I try to do a lot outdoor activities, and I didn't feel anything different than myself. I was finally feeling like Pittsburgh was becoming a home, and so it was hard that all these people were like, well, you have to go through this pain and this fear and this anxiety over something that you actually have no idea is in there except for these pictures on the screen from the scan. So that was really hard for me because it was like, well, you need to get this treatment, but you're not going to feel any different before and after because you didn't have any, you didn't feel off to begin with. So that was really hard because obviously inside I was feeling off, like the, the all the numbers and everything, but mentally and on the outside, I, d I didn't feel like there was anything different going on. 
Right. Well, you just had a big life experience. You yeah. moved to a new place. Yeah. Probably made more of a commitment with Jake at that point because you moved. Yeah. New job, living independently. Yeah. So, I mean, even if you were fatigued, you, you might have actually thought that the fatigue was from everything that was going on. Yeah. So with the doctors trying to understand what exactly my cancer could be for a while, they thought it was a thymoma, which can be a benign mass, but basically the thymus is an organ that you need when you're a baby, and then when you're an adult, it just becomes, like, stagnant. And so they thought, like, maybe that gland, that tissue was, like, overreacting, and then they thought, well, maybe it's some kind of lymphoma, but they didn't know what. So I actually was, like a case on different tumor boards and my case was presented at different conferences and stuff so it made me feel good that I was helping other people learn and be a part of research because my job is in research obviously not related but it made me feel like if it's going to help other doctors or other students in the in the future then they I'm glad that they're going to share like my case and how abnormal it is even though it sucked in the moment being the actual patient. You were diagnosed after you guys had been together. How was those initial conversations? And what was the approach that you guys decided as a couple how you were going to deal with this? So it kind of felt like there was a lot going on at once that we didn't really get the chance to sit down and rethink it all. Like when I was recommended to go to a doctor and have the tests and then I had to have a chest biopsy, it all happened in a very short amount of time. And I also had that bladder scope, too, for the unrelated issues, so I, it was a lot at once. And Jake had just decided from right when we got back from vacation, basically, that he would be able, he would talk to his teachers and get the time off he needed. And luckily, since he was a first-year med student, they have a lot of class work still, so they're not really in hospitals yet. So the lectures would be recorded, and then he could just bring his laptop and take it with and then help go with me to either my appointments or for my chest biopsy. I was in the hospital overnight, so he basically just, like, did all of his work sitting next to me in the hospital room, like, that it was easy for him to pick up his stuff and do it from a distance. So it kind of is a blessing that it worked out where it was, like, this point in his career where he could still do things from home or, or do it basically wherever I needed to be, that he could, he didn't have to take any time off. So that was really helpful, and he also knew that I'm an only child and I'm not close with either of my parents, and they're both back in Wisconsin still, so he kind of knew that it was him or I didn't have many other options, and I think he realized that he didn't want to leave me in that situation looking for who I could turn to. I had already started making friends, so I had some other connections, but... For the most part, it was still acquaintance or not close friend level. My close friends are all back either in Wisconsin or Ohio, so, you know, asking someone to come for an indefinite amount of time to help me, I'm sure many of my close friends would do that in a heartbeat, but if you don't have to disrupt someone else's life and someone who's already willing to be here is going to step up and do that, then it, it was like... It was so nice that we didn't have to have that conversation Mm -hmm. because it just kind of felt like even though neither of us knew it was going to happen, he just kind of took the pieces and and was like, okay, well, I'm going to be your uh, support now from no matter what happens, even if, you know, if you have to be in a hospital for a long time or if it doesn't go well or if, you know, treatment doesn't go the first time, then 
it's okay because I'll still help figure everything out. And I'm pretty sure when you saw that that was his approach in the beginning, you were like, this is the one for me, huh? So I started treatment the middle of May, and my oncologist said, you'll probably start losing your hair after the second or third treatment, and each treatment is once every two weeks, so four to six weeks in, I would probably start noticing a difference. And when that happened, he was just such a good supporter of like, well, it's okay if you don't have hair right now, it's going to grow back. And he would actually joke that he was stressed about school, that he was going through premature balding, and he would be like, well, my girlfriend, she's losing her hair, but I'm also losing my hair in support of her, so we're going through it together. <laughs> so it was nice to hear that kind of stuff because I was that was one thing I was really, really nervous about was losing my hair and maybe losing a piece of my identity or what I felt made me feel really good about myself. Mm-hmm. And that was when I kind of knew that he was going to be someone I could turn to for anything because he saw me go through this change in such a huge visual manner and he was still like it doesn't matter like you don't I would be like well it's hard for me not to compare myself to other people because they have all this long hair it's beautiful and I don't have anything to show for that anymore and he would say it's not about the surface that matters anymore I know you for all your intelligence and everything you're working through and and being a fighter so that helped me not think about just the one dimensional well I don't have hair so I'm not a worthy person anymore and that was that made a big difference oh my gosh yes and that's such a good point because like you said when that something like that happens the person might think I've changed so much how could I be seen the same but like Jake said it's about the inside it's about what he was attracted to it's beautiful for others to hear that story because that's the type of support you need when you're going through something like this. Yeah, it was especially stressful because when I was finishing up my grad program, I didn't have health insurance anymore, and the benefits at the university are amazing that I was able to get that job and have my benefits before I even started treatment, so... It was also that point in life where it was like, if this had been even eight months prior, I would have been just stuck in muddy waters trying to figure out how to get through this financially. It was still tough, but it wasn't nearly as tough as what it could have been, and that was a huge relief too. Right. But it also just helped getting through everything with Jake because he knew that I didn't have parents or family to turn to for finances or anyone else to turn to to vent to. So he kind of took on all these different roles at once and was just from day to day, whatever I needed, he would be that person, whether it was if I needed to vent or if I needed someone to be like, okay, you need to leave the bed today and go for a walk around the block. And it can be just one block, but it has to be some movement. And it was just helpful that someone was there to kick my butt sometimes, metaphorically. Where did you both find support outside of yourselves? Did you connect to a local organization? I know that you now volunteer for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society and you're an active member in Pittsburgh's Young Adult Cancer Support Group. Jake was a huge support. He was your support system and you were going through this entirely new experience and new lifestyle. So where did you guys find that support to actually encourage yourselves? So one thing that I think really helped was that when I got my chest biopsy, it was a week before my 25th birthday. So we made a point still to go out to dinner and at least recognize and celebrate that milestone, even though it was in the thick of me figuring out I had cancer. And that was really nice and helpful. 
And then also the end of June when I was about four treatments in to the 12 treatments I had, it was Jake's birthday, so we made a point still to celebrate his birthday. And that was also really special because it was like the day after I decided I wanted to start wearing a wig and have my head shaved. So it was the first time I was going out in public and actually getting a feel for what it'd be like sporting something different on my head. And that really helped. I had one of my close friends that I grew up with. She lives in Chicago now. She came to visit me for almost a whole week in June. So that was nice because it gave Jake a little bit of a break for a short time at least that she was there helping around the house and going to treatment with me. And I continued to work full-time through treatment, and she would even go to work with me. And part of my job, I don't work with anyone else, I just work with tissue. So she would just sit there and hang out with me while I was working. And Mm -hmm. it's something so mundane like that, but it was just her actions, and she didn't even have to say anything that it felt so good that she wanted to do, be there and do the most boring, monotonous things for a week. That was really moving. In July, we made a point to celebrate 4th of July and go back to Ohio to see Jake's mom and some of his friends. And then that was another step forward that I could be around more people with my new hair and still feel really good about everything that was going on. That's awesome. That is truly awesome. Was that the first time you met his mom or his family? No, so that was not the first time I met Tina, who is now my mother-in-law, so that's exciting to also say. Um, Hi, Tina! And (laughs) I got to meet her for the first time the previous October, so we actually had only been dating for a month when he was like, well, my mom wants to come visit, and if you want to meet her, cool, if you don't, that's cool too. So he was pretty chill about it, but I was like, well, I might as well at least maybe go to dinner or at least see what she's all about, because she's such a big role model in your life that I'd want to see where you get some of that from. It was nice that we had already gotten to know each other because I think she felt more comfortable around me like being, well, are you okay? Are you sure you're dealing with this okay? It was nice that she was checking in on me and still was welcoming us with open arms whenever we wanted to come back and stay and visit even though I was going through treatment because a lot of the times with other people in my life, all they would want to do would would ask, like, are you in pain right now? What can I do to make you feel better? And she was just completely always still normal. And it was nice that she was still taking me as a full person, and this was just one aspect of me, but she still saw this wholesome view that was more than just Marissa, the cancer patient. Right. And it's interesting that you say that, because, of course, this may not be the case for everyone, but I remember talking to somebody who said... The worst thing you can ask a cancer patient is, how are you? And he was saying, you know, we already know that I'm probably not feeling well in regards to diagnosis or maybe the result of a side effect of a treatment or maybe just an emotional day. And again, many people probably think that's fine to ask because it's a genuine question. But he was just saying that he really appreciates those who just kind of maintain the momentum of a normal conversation and they don't go out of their way to ask those other questions because there really is no answer to them sometimes. I mean, sometimes someone doesn't know what to say. So to just jump back into how is the game or something else, you know, allows them to, to feel like what you just said. You feel as if you're not seeing me as the cancer patient. And that was part of the reason why I ended up waiting until August of that year to publicly announced to all of my friends and everyone on Facebook and all my coworkers of what I was going through because 
even though it had already been four or five months since I found out, it just gave me time to feel like I was in a new skin and I was comfortable in that skin now. And I could also test out how it was to be around people with my new hair and going through treatment and seeing that people, because I didn't tell them I was all this was happening, they still appreciated me for the friend or the coworker or the person that I was that before this had all happened. So it was nice that I ended up taking that time before I really told a lot of people what was going on because then, like you said, it felt like I was more bombarded with those questions that didn't necessarily help me get through each day. Right. So that was really useful. So there's people who are probably listening and will say to themselves, okay, but was there ever a point in their relationship where cancer may have been the reason why they didn't work? That is a good point. When I was in the hospital after my chest biopsy, I really didn't know which way things would go there because I was asking a lot of Jake to take me to the hospital at like 4.30 in the morning and then sit through hours of me being in surgery and then sit in this room where I'm like basically just like sleeping for two days straight and I feel like there was all this time where I wouldn't have known the difference whether he wanted to just be more on a surface level of support for that time versus long-term support and that was really the turning point where it wasn't even a question in his mind. Like before that, I would always second guess myself. Like, well, does he really want to be at these appointments with me? Does he really want to move his schedule around for me? And when he told me afterwards, because I was out of it, that he stayed there the whole time and slept in a very uncomfortable chair, from what I can imagine, and vented to other people, but didn't vent to me about what he was going through by being with me, that really made a difference that he knew that he was going to be that concrete force and but he still had other people to turn to because he was going through so much also and he knew that he didn't he wasn't going to put that burden on me on top of everything else and but that was really scary because like I said I didn't know if we were going to commit to each other that strongly if I was going to stay in Pittsburgh because on top of all that the job I had committed to was going to end in April So I had to find a completely new job while also learning about all this at the same time. So at that point, I could have been like, well, I'll just find a job back in Ohio or back in Wisconsin. And I didn't have to necessarily stay there anymore. And so that was also where I didn't know for sure if I should keep taking that path or not. And it was great knowing that neither of us were really wavering too much in our decisions to be with each other But when I started going to the young adult support group meetings that September, there was a lot of people that I heard those stories where either their partner left them, their best friends didn't want to talk to them anymore, just number of people that ghosted them in their life and that it is very common, like you said, it can happen to anyone and to go through such a time where it already feels like you're trying to figure out so many different things, you don't want that on top of everything else. Right. And how has cancer, and how has this experience, this diagnosis and the going through it with Jake, how has this strengthened your relationship? 
a ton. When I moved here, I got my own apartment because I didn't know exactly if we would stay together or not, but we only lived a couple blocks from each other because I loved the neighborhood he lived in, so it was easy for us. Even if we weren't at each other's place, it was still easy to see each other often, and then since he was on campus and I worked on campus, we saw each other a lot, but it was like, well, he's my boyfriend and we're dating right now, but, you know, things in the future are still like there's no other label and there's nothing necessarily like I don't need that or anything and so once the cancer diagnosis and like seeing him come with me to every single treatment and seeing him ask all the hard questions at my doctor's appointments that's when I knew even if people would judge us for it I wanted to like commit to him on a deeper level as soon as possible so that July we started looking at engagement rings and it still was kind of like, even if we find something we like, or even if this happens, it doesn't, it probably won't happen for a long time. And so he was pretty mysterious about it. I picked out what I liked, but I was like, you know, you don't have to like get this now or anytime soon even. We did, we looked at them, but we know we're committed to each other and we don't have to necessarily have that yet. And so he ended up hiding it for a while because he didn't know when the right time to propose to me would be but then in October there's this thing called a wig out and I know it sounds weird but wigs that cancer patients wear a wig out and it's a party for the yaks group I'm in where everybody can come that is family or friends or even just random people that you know hear about the event but you have to wear a wig So it makes the actual young adult cancer survivors feel like really good and feel like part of the majority for once because everybody's wearing like a funky looking wig and it's such a great night. That was my first time going and I had such a good time and then Jake proposed to me that night when we got home. Just the two of us. That is beautiful. Yeah, it came out of nowhere. It's actually pretty funny. He says that I... I kind of have bad peripheral vision and so like I came down to the living room and he had like flowers and candles in the ring and I didn't even see it. (laughs) I was just like about to do the dishes and about to clean the house. Had to like clear his throat. Then I was like, oh. So. Oh, okay. That was kind of embarrassing, but then it all sudden and it was so special. It made that whole day an event and then actually the following day I had my last, my 12th chemotherapy treatment. So it was like celebrating that this is the last time I have to go through this and then also all the nurses coming in and being like I heard you got engaged can I see the ring (laughs) oh my god that's a beautiful story (laughs) thanks we couldn't really afford a wedding and we didn't want to wait to save up the money we just got married at the courthouse this past April so it's been like a little less than a year now Oh my gosh. Congratulations. Wow. You're still newlyweds. (laughs) Yeah. And everyone asks it, you know, how is married life? And we were living together already for a couple months before he proposed to me. So I feel like the cohabitation part is the biggest difference. But it's been nice. Like I filed our taxes together this year (laughs) and I get more taxes back in my income and I was able to take him on to my insurance so my benefits cover him now because he had out-of-state insurance from his mom who's in Ohio so his insurance got way better and I was like all these things and when someone asks you they're like don't want to hear those answers right so you have to just be like 
Oh my gosh, congratulations. Yeah, my sister, she just got married last April, so she's she'll she will be celebrating a year this coming April. <laughs> what date is it? April twenty second. Ours is April eighteenth. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And my birthday is April 20th. Is that's, it? That's a special time. That is Aww. so, that is so great. Oh my gosh. She and I said the same thing. We were like, everybody asks her, you know, how is married life? And she's like, there's so many new exciting things that you don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> the taxes. That's so yeah. funny. <laughs> what advice would you have for those who may be dating and then receive a diagnosis and are just trying to figure out the emotions behind that and how to approach that topic with their significant other? Based on if you're newly dating, to take it slow and try not to bombard them with a bunch of information, especially if you're going to your doctor's appointments without that other person. Try to have like a cheat sheet or some way to break it down. Because I feel like when, even when you're, most people, if you're telling someone all of this like technical or like tricky stuff about your cancer, it can feel really overwhelming really quickly for that other person. If you're like, I have stage two of this and it's in my bone marrow or I need a stem cell transplant. And there's all these different terms that probably the average person has never even heard of. So try to just take it one step at a time and when you have that conversation, just be like, so I have cancer, but cancer means, all it means is that an overgrowth of cells, like they're perfectly healthy cells. It's just, there's too many of them growing at once. So you can just remind them that there's all these little things because I feel like society and culture and American culture in general, you hear the word cancer and people think that malnourished, tired, all of these pain, all of these words that they automatically think of when you say cancer. So if you can start to diffuse the situation right when you start talking about it, it makes the other person feel so much more comfortable being able to discuss that with you and being able to ask questions and not feeling like the dumb person in the room and just being like, you can, you know, whatever you want to talk about with this or if you don't want to right now, just try to like be as okay with their reaction but you can also still try to counteract that by working through and just talking about it in the most basic terms. Right and you bring up a really great point because we were actually speaking with another lady who was diagnosed with lymphoma and she talks about her family's experience with her father who had passed away from kidney cancer and what she was saying is that when they got that diagnosis now because of the experience with her father the family was very scared of her diagnosis and they were they were scared of the word cancer and once they hear the word they assume the worst so what she said was that she wanted to make cancer mean something different for her family because she didn't want it to be the same shock and the same worry and the same fear because a lot of that had to do with just not knowing certain things and the lack of education around uh, cancer, specifically lymphoma. And that's why she puts so much emphasis on really taking the time to do the research so that she could have the right things to say to her family and friends and those around her. Yeah, that's a good point. And I would also say to still like try to celebrate little things in your relationship like if beforehand every Friday or something you got takeout, still try to do that. Or if once a month you try to do a new date, still try to do that and like explore and try to still let your relationship blossom as naturally as possible. Still try to do new fun things or at least try to remind yourself that the things you did beforehand you can still do now, whether that's you know, going to eat somewhere or trying new 
places or cooking together or watching a movie. Just try to have these little things you can celebrate. And I think that helped me a lot too, that even to someone else that didn't know us, maybe it sounded dumb, but celebrating tiny things that are insignificant, like when I finished treatment, this year than one year finishing treatment, even though most people think of their remission date as a bigger one year, it was still enough of a milestone that I still wanted to like do something small, like just, you know, treat yourself and get ice cream or, you know, one little small thing. It doesn't have to be a huge vacation or nothing. You can celebrate little things all the time. That's really good advice. It is. That's such a great reminder. Yeah. This year for our one year, for my one year remission date, Obviously, I wanted to do something huge, but it's in the middle of November and all this other stuff is going on. So we just, we went to the melting pot. (laughs) I've never been there. Well, I don't like cheese, but I like chocolate. So the chocolate is really good. Oh, that's so funny. I'm not going to be able to let anyone in Wisconsin know I'm talking to you now. Since you don't <laughs> oh like my God. Cheese, okay, you know I'm what? I'm get, sorry. Like, from the state. Um, I like cheese on pizza. Oh, okay. That's good. Does that that's count? Good. Okay. Yes, sure. We love you, Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Marissa, is there anything that you feel like we didn't cover that is important to cover? I would just say from my young adult support group, I was really nervous about going because it was like everyone with all these different cancer diagnoses, the one thing that united us was our age. So I was nervous that people would be like, oh, well, she is getting through treatment fine and she hasn't had any relapses and this and that. So I was kind of ashamed to go to a support group where I was doing relatively okay in terms of everything going on. And so don't talk yourself out of trying a support group once or trying to talk to someone you don't know, but they're also a survivor. You never know what kind of relationships you'll gain or what you're going to learn from other people that are going through stuff. Try not to talk yourself out of it. And for those listening, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, we offer many young adult resources, which you can find at www.lls.org forward slash young adult. It was absolutely a (laughs) blessing to see how how everything ended up for you in regards to, like you said, even the timing of the diagnosis was something that if it was done even earlier, it would have been a different story. It could have been a different story. It was so touching and so beautiful and it's, it's really encouraging. And yeah. thank you so much for being so transparent and sharing Thanks. such a great story. I think it helps to emphasize that you can, I don't know, I think it helps being transparent. Like my story, you know, some parts aren't easy. Some parts are maybe a cakewalk compared to other people, but I just try to remain as upfront and not try to sugarcoat anything as possible. And if someone wants to hear what I've been through, I'll tell them, but I'm not that person that'll be like, I can't do this today because I'm a cancer survivor. I'll like get through it. But if someone wants to understand more, I'll be like, yeah, this is everything I've been through. Thank you for joining us and for sharing your story with us on this episode. And please say hello to Jay for us. You guys are both such an awesome pair and we wish you the absolute best. Thanks. (laughs) Well, congratulations, Maliwa. 
Thanks for listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We can be found on iTunes and other great podcatchers. You can subscribe at www.thebloodline.org. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Keep up with LLS by following us on Twitter at LLSUSA and Facebook at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Until next time.